like I said on that one of the episodes I had earlier today, you, you know, with the fractional CML, we were talking about you know, how big is too big, how small is too small when it comes to the niching stuff. Um, and, and so, with a with a international audience of forty people, this company was super delighted to be going after this like hyper sort of micro niche. Um, but the guy said, you know, when I was when I was talking to him, he's like, you know, this we can manage our spend. I, I, I can afford to spend thousands of dollars per client prospect when my market yeah. size is that well identified. Because um, if I were trying to go with a shotgun approach or, or, or with a larger target market, he said, your spend is going to be 10 times higher and your conversion rate is going to be lower. Agreed. One thing that I love about these processes is because we've talked about this before, right? People get, people have heard the concept of like, I need a niche or I need to specialize. I need to get into a vertical, right? Which makes sense for some folks in theory, others that are a little earlier fear that if they get too specialized, they're going to eliminate a wide target market, right? That's the probably the biggest misconception about that as a strategy. That's just not how that works, right? Um, more than likely, and we see this a lot in the product space with the stuff that I do is, you're trying to be all things to all people. So nobody, that really means nothing to anyone as in like, they can't figure out who you are, what you do. So you've got to be specialized, right? But then when it comes to actually doing it, right? Once they get over that hurdle, figuring out which one to pick, why to pick it and, you know, how small is too small. That stuff is the new set of worry and all the anxieties that people start to have to deal with when they're figuring out how to actually do it. So one of the things that I feel like really helps me and the people that I work with, it's like kind of like a product coach times, right. is thinking through it in almost like a logical process for them that they can either see in numbers or understand what qualifies or disqualifies. So they can think through it in kind of like a logical process and give you an example. So in that one you just mentioned, where he's like, I have a target market that's 40 people. Right now, if we're talking about 40 people paying you $10 a month, that's probably not enough to live on, right? As in like, that's probably too small. But if we're talking about 40 people that all spend a hundred grand each, right? Those are two completely different scenarios, right? So if you, something that I try to do in terms of figuring these things out and how to make these strategies work for me is work backwards from ultimately where I want to be. So if you figure out kind of the revenue that you want to make, and then you work backwards from that in terms of how much can I get out of however many people fall into a target market? Like what's a reasonable price? You can't just assume someone's going to spend a hundred grand for whatever it is that you're doing. It has to be like priced reasonably, but then you multiply that up and you take a conservative percentage of that. That's what we do a lot in the product world to figure out whether or not that pool is going to be big enough in order for you to be able to have a reasonable chance in building the kind of business that you want to build. If not, probably needs to be bigger. And if it's too big, then you can probably stand to benefit by making it a little bit smaller, which again is going to make your life and work probably that much easier. You know, uh, it, it it all gets back to that that customer insight kind of work. You know, that product discovery space that you know, that you spend a ton of time in, asking the 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 questions that are um, interesting, right? Because like we all come we all come at this like we're experts in our field which we are and we want to talk we want to talk inside the domain of our expertise we want to talk about the product or service that we sell we want to talk about um, the the way we create those sort of miraculous transformations but we we don't start 
those conversations early enough. We don't start them with like, hey, how how much does your problem hurt right now? And what are you willing to pay to make that just go away? And not a little bit, but like completely go away. I was I was having a, a conversation, and and as you evolve and advance as a business owner, you go through these phases, right? You, you, your first phase, you hire an employee, right? Okay, so I got people handling service delivery. Typically, the first place you go is service delivery help. Then you get okay, I'm going to hire my manager of managers, and then you get to a point where you need to hire uh, high enough in the food chain that you're not going to know what the hell you're doing anymore. And you just, the, the, the decision-making process goes from like, I don't understand this, but I know the name and shape of the problem that I need to make go away. And helping folks get to that in the conversation, you start with like a, a full and complete understanding of your customers. And then from there, you can just hire out the problem and make it go away. Indeed. It really is all about nailing the problem space. Yeah. Like if you... And you need to know this to the extent where you can explain it in their language and you can explain it in front of people like that to the point where that you can see them visibly getting uncomfortable. <laughs> Once you see physical signs like that, you know, you're pressing in the area that hurts, right? Like a doctor's office. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, what do they ask you? They ask you what your symptoms are and then they check to see basically where it hurts, right? When they find out where it hits, that's how they start making their world smaller in terms of getting closer to a solution that's going to fix your problem. It's the same thing in business, but for whatever reason, because it's not probably as physically obvious as an example, like I gave with the doctor analogy, we like to get into what's the solution that we're going to bring to market. And we focus too much effort there, right? If you focus on the problem first, and that's why people say fall in love with the problem, everything moves forward from there. If you start any other step before that, you're going to have to come back and do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you might as well start with a problem. It's like, can you imagine if you went to the doctor and he was he was in love with the solution he offered, not the <laughs> diagnosis process, right? Like, I have the best shot for measles. Totally. It is so great. It is, you know, it'll make the, it'll freshen the air around you. I mean, this right. is that conversation where folks get so focused on sort of trying to differentiate through quality of service delivery or speed to market or any of that kind of stuff that they miss the, the real um, sort of connection point. And the connection point isn't, isn't the solution. I mean, don't get me wrong. You have to be good at that. But the, the connection point is really the problem. The other part that I think uh, comes comes really interesting, and, and you started this just a, a state of there a second ago, a lot of folks will look at the symptoms but not understand the cause. So just because I have you know measles and this part over here is really itchy, doesn't mean that solving this itch right here is the answer. Right. So, you know, when you're going through your discovery process, which uh, you're a genius at this, and I, I really uh, value what you have to say, how do you, uh, how do you get there? Right. How do you get from yeah. like, Hey, this hurts over here to, yeah, but that's not your problem. Great question. There's a couple of good frameworks I really like for this. And it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the leading with solutions kind of thing. I, I tell that story sometimes with the same doctor analogy. Like when you get into the doctor's office, the first thing they don't tell you is like, okay, do you have strep throat? Okay. Do you have the flu? Okay. Do you have measles? Like they don't just go through a list <laughs> asking you <laughs> or throwing pills at you. Right. It's like, yeah, yeah, just take all these pills and uh, we'll see what happens. That seems ridiculous. Right. But at the same time, when we're 
when we're thinking of this in terms of our business, that's what a lot of us do. And that's why a lot of us struggle. So your question is the most important one in terms of, do you really know that you're at the source of the problem or are you at a symptom, right? Because if you treat the symptom, the problem is likely not to go away. You might mask it, but it's just going to lead to a frustrating experience for your customer. The way that, so there's a couple of good frameworks that I use in order to kind of really know for sure. But one way is, you know, the easy way to think of it is kind of like the five whys where you're trying to figure out what the reason may be for whatever ultimately wound up, like your coworkers late showing up for work, right? Well, why were you late for showing up to work? Well, I missed the bus. Okay, well, well, why did you miss the bus? Well, I overslept. My alarm clock didn't go off. It's like, well, why didn't your alarm clock go off? I actually lost power in my house, right? So like, there's all kinds of, like, it's not as simple as saying, this person's just not showing up on time for work. There's a multitude of issues. And the further back you go, the closer you may get to the actual problem. Maybe he lives in an area with an unreliable power grid. Maybe a generator would actually fix the problem for said individual. That way he wouldn't lose power and his alarm clock would go off and he wouldn't miss the bus and then he'd show up to work. Right. But you got to take that to its natural conclusion. You got to get all the way down until you're like, well, yeah, that's, that's just kind of it. I lost power. That's why. So that was the root cause uh, ultimately here. Then you can learn everything there is to learn about that root cause that you just discovered. And one great framework that I really like for that is the jobs to be done framework. It's uh, published and talked about in detail in a book called Competing Against Luck, written by Clayton Christensen. I've just reread it recently myself, so it's very top of mind for me. But it is a fascinating framework in terms of thinking about basically how people try to make progress. And the really the concept is, you think of it in terms of like, why did you hire that thing or that product in order to solve that problem. And they talk about interesting, fascinating stories about how they've leveraged this framework in order to do that. But if you think about everything that everyone does in terms of a specific job to be done, then your perspective on it changes. And you start to, a whole world of questions open up about wanting to know more about why they made that decision or what sequence of events, like what scenario, what perspective, what position do they happen to be in led to them ultimately making that decision or not making that story or not making that decision. So anyway, that book is a fascinating perspective on that if you want to go really deep into this world. But you know, the five whys is kind of an easier way for you to figure out, are you at the bottom yet or do you need to keep digging? Right. So I think the other part of that conversation, right? So so let's say you know, in our space, we identify root cause, right? Um, then, then we have kind of even harder problem. And I would, uh, I want to say, I want to position it maybe as a sales problem, but maybe not. What's really difficult um, is that your, um, more often than not, your clients are going to come at you with this fully formed or quasi fully formed demand, uh, and it's entirely wrong. It's the wrong, the wrong solution. It's the wrong identification of root cause. And so helping uh, helping your your prospects and your clients get to the right sort of altitude from an understanding perspective then becomes a, a pretty difficult challenge, particularly when they're overly attached to like, no, no, I need this. Um, so, you know, do you have a strategy that you use to move folks along or, you know, I've heard folks say, well, they're just not, they're not ready for me. So forget it. I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, how do you, how do you balance that out for you and for, for your business? Yeah, it's a great way to think about it because I think 
as, as a lot of us in business have a tendency to, it's easy to fall into the routine that the customer knows what they need, right? And that isn't as easy as it sounds, basically. Most of the time, we are the expert in providing a particular solution, but in reality, it's all about what it should be is us diagnosing the proper problem and then figuring out the right solution from there, just like the doctor analogy. So I'll give you kind of another example here. I, I turned wrenches when I was younger. So I was working as a mechanic. And when I was learning from the older mechanics, something that they would tell me in terms of how to follow the process of helping customers was not to listen to what the customer thinks is the solution or the problem, but in reality, the symptoms. So, and I'll give you an example and kind of where I'm going here is that if they're confident, they know what their problem is. Sometimes it helps to work backwards to the symptoms to make sure that they're focused on the real problem because sometimes the customer doesn't know and to be skeptical whenever they think they know what the solution is, because most of the time that's probably likely to be wrong. So the example that they gave was someone bursts into the mechanic shop and this would happen with a regular basis. So I would see it all the time. It was hilarious. They come in and they just be like, they demand an alignment for their car. Be like, I got to get an alignment, which obviously they're talking about solution right away. So we ask, okay, well, why do you think you need an alignment as opposed to just giving them the alignment? Because had we done that, they would have got their car back and it would have actually still had the same problem that they came in with. Because if you ask them why they think they need an alignment, they'd share with you that something along the lines of my steering wheel vibrates at highway speeds, for example. And that's what they think the problem is. Even if that's accurate, the so that's that's the wrong solution to solve that problem. Like to actually solve that problem, you have to balance the wheels. You're not actually giving the car an alignment, but customer doesn't know that. And they're not they're not always necessarily expected to know that. You got to understand that. And it's it's it can be a tricky perspective to put yourself in because when a customer comes to you and they're like, I want to buy what you have, that feels like a win for us. It feels like we just need to do that in order to give them the results that they need. Like the mechanic shop could have just given them an alignment. Great. They want an alignment. I'm going to make money. I'm going to make customers happy. And we give the customer what they want, right? The problem is it doesn't solve the customer's real problem. So if you give them back the alignment, they're going to be frustrated. They're going to blame you and you're, you're probably be left confused. So that's where it helps to push back a little bit to get a better understanding of making sure that everyone's on the same page in terms of what the problem is, or at least you are, uh, then you can help the customer kind of understand, look, I know you think that's the problem, or I know you think that's the solution, but that that's actually mismatched. And that is not, people might take a look at that and think that that's me like chasing away business. It's not the case. Like you're preventing the wrong kind of outcome, which is not going to help you, right? You'll, you might make a little bit of money, but you're not going to want to have made that revenue because the customer is just going to be frustrated and left without fixing the ultimate problem that they have. And they may blame you. You may take reputation damage because of it. And you're not going to start like the referral train and all that kind of stuff you want to do, right? As you try to build positive momentum and succeed further in business. So that's where it's really important for you to make sure that you've got, you're focused on the right problem. You know exactly how to solve that problem to deliver the successful outcome that the customer is looking for and that they're kept in the loop along the way, because that is an opportunity for you to demonstrate your expertise, your authority, and to educate them as well. So that's going to put together an entire experience for them, right? That's not just going to fix their problem, but that's going to be you leading them along the way, letting them know that everything's going to be okay and I'm going to make sure of it. 
Yeah, that gets that gets down to a problem that uh, depending where you are kind of in your your personal, you know, growth and development life cycle, your business growth and development life cycle, um, you run into that problem uh, of how to say no. Um, so, you know, when they do insist on the alignment, you have to be like, no, that money, your money is no good here, right? That money does yep. not count <laughs> towards, towards my <laughs> revenue objectives, because basically you're going to hate me when it's done. Um, yep. and, and that, that is an outrageously difficult conversation to have, um, because, because we have a lot of folks that uh, that are out there and they're insistent that they know the answer because they got the they got the diagnosis and the treatment from Dr. Google and uh, and here they are with like a fully formed like well I've got my ideal client profile and and here it is and this is exactly who I want you to talk to and you go this is uh, not anybody that you can market to this qualifies as anyone with a pulse and a check and it's not sufficient enough so i think you run into this all the time and that saying no conversation gets gets tough right um you have to turn down that revenue uh it's 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 a poison pill and and folks don't think of it that way yeah it's it's not going to help and it's it's a hard level of progress for someone in business to get to right that's definitely an indicator of whether or not like how advanced you are in your career. If you've been through that enough times to know that if you take that road again, it's not going to lead you to where you want to get where you want to go and definitely not the customer either. That's a level of like enlightenment that you're you're definitely more advanced, right? Um, because some customers are adamant. Like some customers demand the alignment to your point. You got to say no because that's not going to do good for anybody. Yeah. And ironing that out sometimes gets tricky and it's it's awkward the first time, but you got to do it. It's definitely in your best interest. Yeah, I remember earlier in my business career, I had a, a situation with a client where I was supposed to do a, a bit of work, uh, and and this is this is true not just from the initial kind of engagement, right? But it's also true for an in-flight engagement where you have to go recalibrate expectations. You know, I was uh, I took a, a piece of work, um, and I had outrageously underpriced the work, like. Because yep. I was so hungry for the business at the time, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to do this for for pennies on the dollar. Um, and it occurred to me before I started the work, I said, listen, I'm going to hate this guy by the end of this engagement. And it's not his fault. It's because I've committed yep. to doing this at a price point where I have just essentially stabbed myself in the back. Um, so I had, at, at that point, I had the 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 icky conversation. I said, look, I don't, I, I like you. I think you're a good, you know, you're a good business owner. You're a good person. I think I, I believe in where you're going. Um, but I relooked at my pricing for this project and I'm, I'm convinced that our relationship is worth more than me getting paid this price. Meaning I don't want to do this work at this price point anymore. Let's renegotiate. Um, because because I would much rather have a positive relationship with you than I would rather have the the money, right? So so Definitely. let's let's do that. And that conversation went, went remarkably well. I was able to double the budget on the project um, and still maintain a positive <laughs> positive relationship, relationship which customer, is yeah. which is super difficult, right? It's hard to do. Um, but I think I think that you know, to your point, it, it indicates a certain uh, amount of enlightenment in your kind of business development. Uh, that you have Definitely. to have. I imagine that um, you know a, a fair number of folks you've run across have had stories of that kind of nature as well. Myself as well, totally. And I think that's a great strategy for figuring out pricing in some of these areas where it may be a little trickier. Right? We know approximately what 
you know, produce is going to cost us or a coffee mug might cost us, but if we're selling high ticket services or consulting engagements and stuff like that, that pricing kind of back and forth. I know people really wrestle with that, that, that induces a bit of anxiety and they're not sure, am I charging too low? Am I charging too much, et cetera. The thing that I found that's been most effective for me in those scenarios is taking like, once you get a good idea in terms of how much work is ultimately going to be required, let's say you're aligned with the customer in terms of the successful outcome that they're looking for, right? If you're good at your craft or you've done it for a while, you know, just how much work is going to be required in order to do that. And to get yourself out of your own way, where you might feel like, you know, maybe I'm charging too much, or maybe not charging enough, or like to, to get rid of a lot of that stuff is the perspective that you just shared, which is think through it from the perspective of couple of weeks from now or a couple of months from now or whatever, when I'm actually doing the work, if I'm charging what I'm thinking about charging right now, is that going to make me hate my life? And if that makes me hate my life, I'm not charging enough. Yeah. Right. And it's going to lead to a whole bunch of other problems yet again, because I'm going to become like apathetic. I'm going to start doing poor quality work. I'm going to start cutting corners. Right. And that's only going to lead to terrible outcomes. So in situations where, you know, I wasn't sure, or I wasn't confident about what it was I was thinking of charging. Whenever I played that scenario out in my head, and did that really clear things up? It's like, no, that price needs to stay where it is, or that price needs to be higher, or whatever, because it doesn't. You're not. You're probably thinking of it from the perspective of like, are they going to buy this? You know, if I make it less expensive, maybe that increases the chances that they're actually going to buy it, and I'm going to win. And you're focused on like winning the contract, but you're not thinking through actually delivering the solution, and doing the work, right? Which is what matters more than anything, right? You can always get another contract, but if you're trapped in a contract that's not paying you fairly for what it is that you're doing, that's just going to be a nightmare all day long. And that's not what you signed up for. So don't put yourself in that spot if you can avoid it. Yeah, absolutely. And you you, you bring up a, by proxy kind of another really important point, which is um, the amount you pay has a huge impact on your satisfaction as a client. Totally. Right? So the it, it's almost, this is outrageous to say, but it's almost you are... 10 times happier if you've paid the highest price than you would be if you'd paid the lowest price. I don't see any, you know, I don't see any, uh, any business owner out there running around going, man, you wouldn't believe the deal I got on this. I'm (laughs) so happy to work with this guy. I'm I'm so happy. I keep stabbing this company in the back financially. (laughs) Right. They're delivering such great outcomes. Exactly. Yeah. The, in many ways, and this is another level of progress I feel like I made myself as a business owner, consultant eventually, where I was able to understand that if someone wasn't willing to kind of vote enough with their wallet, then it what they weren't ready, right? Like they might say everything they that I would hope for that they would say. They might have all the parts ready to go, but if in the end they're unwilling to make that kind of a commitment that I know is fair because I've been through this before, then I know they're not ready and I won't move forward until I know that they are, right? Because a certain, there's also the commitment element to the project, right? As in, like you said, people value things they spend more for, and that's not a license to just rip off customers. That's a level of commitment that they're making to the project. Because it's easy to walk away from something that you don't have any kind of a commitment to. And this is another element where like a lot of coaches, like business coaches, they charge for their services. And that's that holds you accountable to the program, basically, whatever it is, customized program for you in order to make progress. That if for whatever reason, the going gets tough, it's a lot easier to quit 
if you don't, if you're not held accountable and you haven't made some level of commitment to that project as well, also. So I've seen that play out pretty specifically in that way, all the way up, realistically. Um, and it's got to be right for the right level. So, so that leads me, you know, you're, you're using the words like invest. Um, and that leads me to the other sort of one of the other things that we do when we start calibrating uh, businesses for success in this space. And that is understanding the different types of investment as well, right? So there's yep. not only the financial investment, right? So it's easy. Uh, I've, I've had a lot of folks come come at me and say, well, I'm going to just throw you money at this and make this problem go away. But it requires their engagement in the, the treatment, right? The doctor, right? the doctor needs compliance with the treatment. You can't just be like, well, right. uh, great. Uh, I've, I've paid. I've got the pills. They're in a pile on my desk. That's not <laughs> going to solve for X, right? <laughs> so- when it comes to to moving folks up and down your product ladder, right? You you essentially can can um, work on calibrating the types of engagement. So maybe items lower on your product ladder have a much higher time based engagement uh, investment costs, and then uh, as you move up that ladder, you're essentially doing that that sort of basic exchange of the time for money conversation. Um, I, I think a lot of folks get that that sort of um, that balance being wrong and they yep. don't understand that the DIY folks, they might be uh, right for lower levels of the funnel and your process is going to help them move up their own food chain. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's really important to understand, you know, once you have a good idea and the specific type of problem and the day in the life, or who it is, is your target market customer, your target audience, then you, you've thought through how you're going to help them solve those problems. You need to figure out exactly how you're going to do that, right? And where you're going to start and then how you're going to grow from there. And that has implications for the type of business you might want to have. I have a tendency to like to start with the top most expensive kind of options, which is the essentially like the done for you one, because if people will be willing to pay the higher prices, to for us to do the heavy lifting on their behalf, then I know that that is a significant enough pain for them to invest in it, both from a capital perspective and whatever hoops we need them to jump through in order to deliver those outcomes, which is a big form of validation. From there, I like to work backwards into, you know, that might be the white glove done for you, but I like to work backwards into the, okay, show me how to do it and I'll do it myself, which might be more of like a coaching element all the way down to a self-service option where that can be sold, you know, in our sleep, so to speak, but courses and eBooks and stuff like that, which is all around the same value prop. But to your point, it's a different balance of level of cost isn't like entry point from a price perspective and then time invested on the earlier side, the people lower on the product ladder, they're looking for, okay, I have the time, uh, but I don't have the capital to make the investment. So while I may want this to go away and it would be great to pay someone in order to do that, I'm not in a position to be able to do that at the moment. They're great for, you know, the options that are lower on the product ladder. And as you move up for the most part, you know, I've, I've, it's hilarious because I've seen myself do this with other people's product ladders. So I've been that person who was lower on the product ladder and worked my way all the way up. And then as they get higher up or deeper in my career, more successful in my career or whatever, maybe a little bit more budget becomes available, but the time starts to go away as I start to get busier. So that's where the other options higher on the product ladder start to fit with the phase in terms of where I am. So um, that's kind of how I've thought through it. And it's important to make sure that 
you've differentiated those options enough. So it speaks probably to the same person or oftentimes the same target market buyer, but at different points in time as they make progress along the way. So that that, that opens the door to uh, kind of another part of the conversation, which is, you know, with the hyper focus on understanding your clients and where they are in the product ladder, um, we're not dumping content on folks uh, just because we have it, right? It's not, you know, a lot of folks' content strategy is like, let's just make a bunch of stuff and, and throw it out there and see what yeah, happens. Throw it against the wall. Um, but when when it comes to that that sort of deeper understanding of your customer, you start making content for um, a very specific purpose. It is, you know, where they are in their funnel, where they are in that journey. Um, and it's only about solving, you know, helping them get a little bit further along in that part of the funnel. So in the podcasting context, for example, you know, for us to throw out content like, oh, yeah, and here's here's a great microphone setup. Well, yeah, it's interesting. But there's tons of places to do that. There's there's lots of folks that can totally. give you like that kind of stuff. When we're trying to help folks engage, it's to solve that deeper business problem. Like, how do you turn your podcast into, you know, a relationship development source, uh, a source right. for, you know, lead gen or whatever? Um, so, so it's not just even if we do end up giving sort of guidance around microphone selection, it's always from the context of, you remember that problem that you had of not being able to connect with your ideal clients. This is how you're going to get there. Your microphone is really important and blah, 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 blah. So you always connect that back, right? A lot of business owners, when they start with a content sort of strategy, it's like, well, I know how to do this. I know how to turn wrenches. I know how to do alignments. Let me talk to you about great alignments, right? And it's like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's not how I buy that service. Exactly. Yeah, I think a lot of us have figured out, some of us the hard way, myself included, that the spray and pray approach to content marketing doesn't work. Avoid that at all costs, right? Because you're just floundering. And that's what it feels like is you're changing topics all the time and stuff's getting an inconsistent level of traction and eventually you get frustrated and quit, right? And that's what nobody wants. You want to build positive momentum in the right direction. And I'm all about building that from a small level in terms of what you can manage and up from there. The way I like to think through the content strategy stuff and podcast chefs, the perfect example, right? We got we have buyers at different levels for this productized service business that we've used to essentially really make major progress and solve the problem of relationship-based selling for B2B companies for the most part, right? It's hard to do. It's hard to open some of these doors. And the podcast as a hook is a great one, right? It's a great way to open a door. It's a great way to start building a relationship and you can do it virtually. Uh, it's very inexpensive. It's very, very fast, very effective. And that helps that buyer, but at that level, who's trying to do that. Everyone may not necessarily be there yet. But from a content strategy perspective, to your point, in order for, again, I like to tie that back to a system, I like to have a logical progression to whatever it is I'm doing, doing stuff randomly, like hardly works out, right? So the way that I like to think about it is, as we put the value proposition again, you know, we did our discovery and research and we built this because it solved our own problem, right? Which is an excellent product strategy. That's just a random aside. But after we figured that out, now every time one of our customers or prospects is asking us a question that we don't have like a specific blog article for or an ebook about, that that lights me up because I'm like, that question is very specific and nuanced to them as they're thinking through the decision-making or purchasing process of working with us. And it is a potential 
reservation they may have or a hurdle that they need to get over in order for them to figure out whether or not this is for them. And if we can work on creating that content, sharing that with the world, then that is likely to be educating the right folks at the right time in the process and helping them get over certain hurdles, which helps with our mission, right? Get them out of their own way, enable us to help them with what it is that we do. We know our system and process works. We've built it that way. We've put a lot of clients through it. We've helped them achieve successful outcomes, but we're doing a disservice to the rest of the folks that are getting stuck somewhere in that process if we're not educating them on the things that matter most to them. So that's how I like to work from a content marketing perspective. And then you can work back, just like we work down the ladder. You can go back and you can figure out, all right, well, what are the res? As you're expanding your ladder, interact with those folks that are purchasing those products or whatever service you're offering at that point and figure out the same thing, right? What are their questions? What are their reservations? And they'll be different, right? They'll be on the lower end of the product ladder. They may seem more novice or beginner and the higher end of the product ladder. They may be more advanced. Uh, that's totally okay. And your content can shift in those areas and be largely focused around uh, those products that ultimately are the right fit for those customers at that level on the product ladder when they need the most. Yeah, it's it, it's outrageous, right? You, you you go out on the net and you start surfing. You're a small business owner. You're trying to figure out how to get your you know how to get your marketing aligned. You're not overly strategic about it. You see folks out there and they're like, "Yeah, content is king," um, but that phrase is uh, flattens you know mountains, right? Totally. That is that is not um, not accurate, right? Content is king. But but it's the right content at the right exactly. place at the right time it's in misleading. front of the right person, um, and then, and then and only then is content king, right? right. It's it, it's very very difficult because you know when you're when you're just starting out or or, or even you're you know you're outrageously effective already you've got a couple you know awesome clients under your belt and you're looking to really expand um, the 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 market guidance out there is is just you know make more. And, right. and that's not not what you really want to do at all. 100%. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Right. There's a lot of concepts that almost oversimplify some of these processes. They Some of them don't go far enough. Some of them go too far. It's hard to strike that balance, right? The, the trickier element to that is that it really depends on where you are. So there's going to be some nuance to it. But we want to get you started in the right way. But we also want you to be able to leverage these strategies effectively. And just saying that, you know, you should be investing in content's not enough, right? Um, you need to have a process like the one that we described in order to figure out how you're going to make it work for you. Because yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I've read something recently that sets upwards of like 60% of the content on the web is duplicated, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious and terrifying at the same time. It's like most of the, a lot of the stuff out there is not like the vast majority or like at least potentially the majority of the content on the web is not uh, organic. It's not original. So you're reading a copy of a copy of a copy sometimes, and it can be tricky to figure out like where to get good content. And if you have a, if you're not following a process like the one that we described and you're just shipping content and you're pulling content from all these other sources, like they're copying from you, you're copying from them. At the end of the day, none of it helps anyone. <laughs> yeah. So it's gotta be nuanced. It's gotta be more nuanced than that. And yeah, and 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 attached. Like it can't be free floating, right? It's got to be attached to well the product ladder. It's got to be attached to uh, the framework that you're going to use to develop the business. Otherwise, um, you're just you know. Uh, in many ways, it's that what's that old saying? Casting pearls before swine. 
You know, yeah. you're just, you're taking all of your expertise. You're, you know, trying to, trying to create these little bubbles of awesomeness. You throw it out there going, maybe this will work. See you tomorrow. Who kids. Knows? <laughs> I put in a good day work, you know? Um, yeah. And and so I think the, the, the other part of that, like, as we, as you talk to like, how do you generate content? What does it look like? You know, we also um, have the the challenge that is, um, the relationship development side of the conversation, right? A lot of folks don't understand uh, that building good content is the beginning of developing good relationships. Yeah. Right. It doesn't, 100%. it is not, um, you're, you're not putting an article out there and have that be, not only is it not disconnected from your product ladder or whatever, your, your blog entry is not disconnected from your product ladder, it's got to be connected, but it's also got to be, you know, help you connect to people because at the end of the yes. day, People make buying decisions, not, you you know, the algorithm that puts the content in front of you may do a fair amount of getting you in front of the right folks, but they're not making the buying decisions for you. So, you know, making content that begins that relationship development uh, conversation, like it's done well, really well with the podcasting. Um, How do we, you know, how do you balance and leverage those things? In your experience, um, there's, there's gotta be a, a little bit of, um, hiding the ball sometimes like, Hey, you can't answer the whole question because you can't do that in content anyway, but at yep. the same time you want that the relationship to start. So how do you kind of balance the both of those things? Yeah, that's a great question. One strategy that I found to be the most effective in terms of not getting lost in these content traps is when you're thinking about what you're producing or what you want to write about, think about it from the perspective, if you were writing it for a specific person. Like have that person in mind and think through the context of where that person gets stuck, the problems they have as you're talking about how to work through them and how to solve them. That has helped me tremendously in terms of making sure that I'm creating better content. If I'm just writing about a topic and I'm waxing on about it, I might go on forever. I may not have a conclusion, right? It just ebbs and ebbs and flows. And it's just like, in the end of the day, I haven't drawn any conclusion. It just might be like one stream of consciousness. That's not really what people are looking for. And it's not going to be effective for you either. I love thinking it from the perspective of who are you writing for, right? It doesn't need to be like directed specifically to their name or whatever, but who is like, who do you know has had this problem that if they read this piece of content, they would light up about it. And this would like change something for them. This would educate them. This would really help them. If you're not there yet, you're not ready to write something. Like you haven't done enough research. You haven't found enough problems. You don't know what it is you're talking about from the perspective of going to be able to move a needle for someone or help them with solving something. So go find that first and then write about it. Right. Like, so find the problem. It's just like everything else, right. It starts with the problem. Uh, you know, you I, I, I just, I couldn't help myself. I'm thinking about that doctor analogy. You know, you'd walk into the doctor and you're like, Oh yeah, I got measles. And he drops it uh, uh, like three textbooks on the desk with a huge thunk. and says, okay, try this. <laughs> it's here somewhere. <laughs> right. Probably. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is every study ever conducted on measles go and <laughs> and like that is also not a good content strategy right exactly and so we have a tendency to like want to prove uh that we're we're hardcore and we're badass and we know what we're talking right. about by writing these you know these pieces of content that are not um they're exhaustive sort of topically yeah. but not effective or efficient <laughs> at helping folks get from point A to point B. Um, yep. And uh, I've seen it a lot, right? And we talk about it in things like long form, long form content too, you know, where, you know, you're, you're basically just stirring the pain 
you know, you're uh, exacerbating the issue. Like, okay, well now, now you're ready. You're in this buying frenzy uh, and you offer nothing. Like, <laughs> right. That's another, that's another huge gap that I see too, where it's like, that's great. Like I'm totally following you with everything you're describing, but now what, right? Like help me get to the next step in the process. So whether you've drawn it to some form of like normal or satisfactory conclusion, or you're ready for the next step in the process, it's a missed opportunity if you if you if you're not offering something that enables them to be able to get more. I think that's what we're seeing now with a lot of the content out there, especially like you know what YouTube has done in connecting a series of videos together. Is man, when some people do that, when some people do that well, I, you can get lost in those rabbit holes forever. Where I'm just watching video after video after video, I'm learning more and more and more, and some of them do it so well. Um, you know, you and I have talked about learning how to play the piano. I, I found a series of YouTube videos now that are phenomenal from starting for the beginner going through, and it's like 20 videos and each one, and they're a little bit, they're similar in terms of length, but man, does it do a great job of following that progression from teaching you the basics to helping you get a little bit more advanced along the way. Uh, that That's definitely, you know, there's a scientific approach to that. But when it works well, man, it feels like art <laughs> because it's just so effective. So doing content well is, I think that is kind of really what's meant or how I would uh, reposition the whole content as king. Like, yes, but it's got to be done in that way in order for it to have the kind of effect that you're hoping for. Because if you don't have the right strategy, it's just not going to work. And I, and I think that gets back to one of the like huge merits of podcasting as a solution, right? Because you're you're creating content through the interview process that that is for real people, right? Uh, it, it it really speaks to where folks are at, as opposed to the you know some of the more abstract strategies like I'm going to go create this topic library. Yeah. Um, you get into this like I, I just had a conversation with somebody who's you know hemorrhaging from a problem, and we talked it out. And other folks, you know, that that works. It works well. This is why reality TV took off the way it did. Now it's all scripted and crazy at this point. But sure. reality TV in the beginning was like, oh, that's a that's a real person just like me. And, right. and, and podcasting is that exact same thing if you do it kind of totally. with that context in mind. So I think, um, you know, as as you, you start building your strategy out to grow your business, uh, I think podcasting is kind of a vital part of that as a way totally. – for, for both the data collection side, like if you're struggling to find, figure out who your ideal client is, start a podcast. That'll help you get there. <laughs> Seriously. I've used it for that purpose multiple times, many times over, and it's worked phenomenally well. Right? I keep alluding back to like research and discovery and finding problems and all that kind of stuff and doing it in a specific target market. And if you don't have that, get that before you invest in a lot of these other things, whatever it is, anything there from building, like writing content, creating content to building a business. But you need a way to get access to these folks and to interview them in order to learn these things. I have used a podcast because it's a great hook and a great way to engage with folks. A lot of people want to be a guest on a show. Then leverage that in order to pick a specific target market, record interviews, and then do the discovery as part of the interview, right? It's like, I want it to be about a certain topic. I know I want to help people with X. So I'm going to go find people that are in that industry. I'm going to invite them on my new show and they're going to be the source of information. Now it's just up to me to ask the right question. It's kind of, it's a much more efficient and effective way to do a number of those things all at once. And you can 
pick the target market. You can start the discovery process. You can start finding problems. And the whole time you're creating content. That's what's so great about podcasting is all you got to do is press record, right? It's a conversation. It's an interview. The source of information is your guest wants to be there too. It's on you to ask the right question and get the information that you're looking for that will be valuable for others as well too. And as you continue to do that, you are starting to build yourself as an authority. You're starting to build some brand recognition and awareness, and you're offering value for folks because other people have those questions as well too. You may not know about it yet, or they might not have been able to find you, but they will. They'll be able to find you through your podcast if you just keep going. So a podcast is super valuable in that way. I found it to be the most efficient and effective way. It's got the best balance of those two things out of any other medium that I've experimented with. And I know you know this. I've experimented with almost all of them. <laughs> I think um, the the other part of it, too, is um, not getting it overly attached to outcomes here, right? Um, it, it is entirely appropriate to do something like spin up a podcast, to do some market testing and analysis and go, yeah, there's nothing there. hundred um, percent. I've done that you, you too. Know, uh, uh, there's, there is, there may be a, a pain point, but nobody's willing to pay to solve it. Like, okay, great. Absolutely. <laughs> Podcast plenty of times. <laughs> exactly. Right. So what do you do then? Right. There's the next question, like start the process over again in another area. That's literally how this research stuff works. It's just that with the help of a podcast, you'll be able to do it more effectively and more efficiently, as opposed to all of these other strategies that I have attempted myself before, because it's so important for the product work and the coaching that I do for the clients that I help with that stuff. So who doesn't want to get there faster and more cost effectively? Uh, that person probably is not going to be a good fit for what it is we're talking about here, but I don't know anybody like that. So I think we're in a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Consulting Trap. If you have suggestions for future episodes or would like to be a guest on our show, please send me an email at brian at podcastchef.com. That's B-R-I-A-N at P-O-D-C-I-S-T-C-H-E-F dot com. Before we go, we'd like to thank the sponsor of our show, Podcast Chef. Podcast Chef helps turn ordinary podcasting into a revenue-generating lead magnet for your consulting business. Our Podcasting Done For You service takes away the headache of starting up and running your own podcast. Reach out now to take advantage of our 30-day money-back guarantee. Visit us at podcastchef.com to find out how our team of experts can help you leverage podcasting to take your business to the next level. Hey, you, yes, you, it's uh, 2024 and you don't have a podcast yet, or maybe you do, but you're struggling with it. Uh, we will talk to you about that uh, for free. We'll help you figure out uh, where you might be stuck, uh, whether or not we can help you for sure. But also, uh, if you don't have one yet, what are the like first five things you can do? Uh, what are some great angles that you can use to make sure that your podcast was sustainable as you start to develop that moving forward? Uh, those consults are free. So reach out at the link below uh, in the show notes or email me at brian at podcastchef.com. Thanks. Hi, this is Brian. Thanks for listening to the show. Uh, our website, podcastchef.com, has a ton of useful information about how to best leverage podcasting to help you solve some of your business goals and challenges. You can also schedule a demo uh, where we can show you how specifically 
Podcast Chef and our team can help you with some of your podcasting goals. Thanks.